What steps can a sponsor put in place from the very beginning of an investment to truly deliver value creation? How can sponsors best position their portfolio companies for an exit in today's trading environment? And why might a sponsor want to reinvest following the sale of a business onto the new owner? We'll be talking about all of this and so much more in today's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Rachel Lewis, a senior private equity reporter with Merger Market, and I'll be hosting today's episode. Value creation has become one of the phrases of the year for the private equity industry, as the rising cost of capital means that sponsors can no longer rely so much on leverage to bolster their returns. Everyone wants to reach alpha, using the old-fashioned playbook of buy and build, organic growth, and good management. But naturally, not all GPs will make it. So how do you make a good investment, a good investment period, and ultimately a good exit in this market? Today, we get the perspective of one fund, Palatine. Through the summer, the sponsor sold its stake in sustainability consultancy and thesis to Carlisle. Tom Ross Jones, a partner at Palatine, is about to sit down with me to discuss its journey of investing in thesis and how it managed to generate a six times return on its investment after just a two year holding period. Let's hear what he has to say. So, Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So we were going to talk a little bit about Anthesis. Obviously, I mentioned in the intro just how important value creation is in the current journey for private equity. But I really wanted to take a look across the whole investment So why don't you start talking a little bit about how you originated the deal in the first place? I think it was back in 2021. So yeah, we um, we did the deal in March 2021, but it, this was a business that we'd been tracking for, for some time. I think we were first introduced to the business in 2017. Um, I think at that point, the business was looking for some funding. It had done about seven acquisitions up, up until that point, but it was probably too small for, for us to have invested at that point in time. Um, yeah, we, we, we kept close tabs on the business from from that period onwards, you know, met management a couple of times uh, over the subsequent couple of years. You know, and I think from, from those interactions with management, it was it was quite clear that there was quite a strong alignment between, you know, and thesis as a business, what it stands for, what it what it's aiming to achieve, you know, and, and Palatine and, and what we we try to do with our all of our portfolio companies from a you know driving ESG um you know and sustainability improvements across the portfolio. So that was you know, quite quite a nice meeting of meeting of minds in, in that sense. So we, you know, we obviously kept close to the team, and that and that's when, you know, kind of mid twenty twenty and towards the back end of that, when when the business was then looking for for investment again, that's when you know, kind of stood us in quite good stead for you know for that for that process when it when it eventually came around. So yeah, kind of a bit a bit of a long lead into to this one, but yeah, it was looks like it was it was definitely worth it. <laughs> And just for our readers who aren't aware, just kind of give a quick brief overview of, of what the business model is for Anthesis. Yeah, so so Anthesis, um, it's, it's a very fast growing business. So it uh, operates in the sustainability uh, consultancy space. You know, it's um, it, for for its size. When 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 we invested, it had you know, very good market position. So it was kind of it was positioned between the, the big large consultancies, the likes of you, you know, your big fours. Etc. Um, and the, and the real small niche um, consultancy, so it had a really nice position in there where it could have you know, operated globally. It had you know, I think it was seventeen different geographies that it operated in when when we invested, but it also had a really 
strong but deep um, you know, experience across the whole sustainability spectrum. So it could offer you know, a lot of blue chip companies very, very good services across the globe. So it was, you know, we thought it was a, a really nice, nice business to be investing in. And you mentioned just then it was probably too small for you to invest when you when you first took a look. Kind of just to briefly on Palatine as well. So kind of what size tickets do you typically deploy and, and whereabouts do you need a business to be before you consider that investment? Yeah, so we, we, we normally say it should be minimum of three million EBITDA. I think at, at that point in time it would have been, you know, around about one, one, one and a half, maybe at that point. Um, so, so you know, and that that typically means equity checks for from from a Palatine perspective of you know starting at kind of 15, 15 million, but we, we do have the capacity to go all the way up to to fifty at the, the large side. And the the initial investment was a significant minority stake. Why that position rather than a majority? And I think a lot of people could argue that a minority position is perhaps the worst place to sit in the capital structure. So is there anything that you did to kind of mitigate that risk? That's a, that's a funny one, really. I mean, to be honest, from from our side, I mean, when, when whenever we do take a minority investment, it's always a significant minority. So we'll always be the, you know, the largest individual shareholder. Um, and to be honest, I mean, I've been at Palatine now for you know, six years or so, and I don't really see any difference in how we operate, whether it's a significant minority and a, and a majority. So, you know, our, our legal doctor, you know, pretty much identical where, where they do, you know, the, the way that, as I say, the way that we operate is exactly the same. We do have, you know, all protections that we need. We, we typically have two seats, you know, two board seats on it, on every single um, investment, whether it's a minority or a, well, a significant minority or a majority. Um, and we have observer rights, we have 10 board meetings a year, all of that stuff is, is exactly the same. You know, we're, we're you know, very much involved in the, the budget setting process every year. So from from our perspective, we, we don't really see a difference. I think on, on the Anthesis investment in particular, there was a coming into it. There was a very broad and deep employee shareholder base, and I think that in this sector that it's in, it's got a you know very very hot labour markets here, and so I think having a a significant management rollover coming into the deal was actually beneficial for us because there was a, a lot of key individuals all across the business in the various different geographies that that were investing alongside us. So actually, that that meant that we were, to an extent, you know, not not saying it wasn't without its challenges from a you know recruitment retention perspective, but it but it did help given the the strength of the you know demand out there for sustainability consultants. And we'll come on to kind of the role of an an active investor and what that the role that that plays in value creation shortly. But I just wanted your initial take on leverage as well. Obviously, it was a minority stake, so it's a bit different, but. The nature of the leverage environment has changed so much in the past two years. So talk a little bit about kind of the approach that you took to leverage on the initial investment and perhaps how that's changing with new platform deals that Palatine is making today. Well, I think overall, we've always been conscious not to put too much debt into our, our businesses, at the, you know, certainly at the, at the outset. And Anthesis was was no different to that, and I don't think that that approach hasn't necessarily changed. And you know, given what we've seen with the the debt markets, it's just kind of been a you know the way that we've always sought to operate is is not to to overgear these these businesses. 
Um, and I think with, with Anthesis in particular, we, we knew, I know we we're going to come on to talking about the various different um, value enhancement drivers, but we knew very early on that you know, there was going to be a big M&A play in this. So you know, we knew that there was a very fragmented market here. And we knew that you know, if if we went into the deal with a, you know, a high initial gearing, then it would it would mean that we had to fund you know find uh, alternative sources of you know cash capital to be able to fund those acquisitions. So we, we knew that keeping the, the leverage low on on day one would enable us to to almost gear up on the core business to be able to fund fund the uh, the buy and build activity. So that that was a really you know intentional. Um, Know, strategy right right from the outset in this business perfect that makes a lot of sense but let's just just dial back slightly because i want to kind of go through this a bit chronologically so what happened immediately after the initial investment completed and kind of once you got on your foot in the door what what did you do to be honest it starts before before we do the do the deal um you know, soon as soon as we get into exclusivity we, we start with a a value and well value creation um assessment of the business and and at that point we're we're looking at right what what do we think the the key levers are in this business and what and where do we think the business can get to on an exit and what are we gonna what are we gonna do so i think from from early on as i say we we knew that the m a buy and build would be a be a strong part of the uh, the value enhancement story for for anthesis but but at the same time you know it's kind of very very nice investment for us because it, it ticked a lot of the boxes for what we we normally look for in terms of where where we think that the the value enhancement can can come from a business so you know obviously it was a business that had been going very strongly organically and we needed to make sure that we we kept the bits and the business on on that journey um and, and we also knew that given the strength of the labor markets we'd need to invest in the you know the hr function at the the business put the put the right human capital strategy in place which, which we did um but also we we knew from right at the outset that because the business had grown so strongly o- over you know in the period since it's um since it had been created effectively the uh, the back office part of the business had, had probably been outgrown you know because of because of the strength of the the growth there so we knew that we needed to take the business on a on a professionalization journey and make sure that we we'd made sufficient investments in that back office uh, and well, in various different back office functions to make sure that the business was was primed for for further growth. So there was in, initially there was a that was where a lot of the focus was, and the, the business had been on a on a journey for you know, rolling out a new ERP system a, across the globe. So you know, so there was some issues with how that had, you know how that had gone. Um, so we needed to kind of do a do a soft relaunch internally of, of making sure that the business was was properly utilizing that. So so a lot of it initially was really on that. You know, how, how do we get the back office back up to speed with where the front office was to make sure that it, you know, the two things were were growing um, accordingly as the you know, as the business was was going to grow going forward? So a lot of that was they were the kind of initial focus, but then as soon as, soon as you get into doing a deal, we we flip from the kind of you know, the value creation assessment into right what what are going to what's the strategic growth plan now? Funnily enough, with with, with Anthesis, there, there was given the strength of the you know, the market growth. There was almost too much opportunity there for the business. Now, obviously, that'd be great if all of your, all of your investments were like that. So, the the real challenge was 
how do we refine that down into something which is which is manageable? Because the the biggest risk really was going to be that you know, we and the management team spread ourselves too thinly, trying to do absolutely everything given given the strength of the opportunity. So we really worked hard to right focus this. What what are the key five six things that that we're going to focus on? So you know, obviously the M and A was was going to be one of those. You know, data, you know, was obviously very, you know, going to be real, real key bit in terms of how do we make sure that we're making decisions informed by the data. You know, what what can we do from the human um, human capital strategy side and in terms of how do we retain the right people? How do we recruit people to be able to maintain the the level of organic growth that that the business um, is delivering? You know, as as well as the business when we invested the business did do some digital uh, products and services for it, for its customers but it but it was very much ad hoc so we worked with them to to launch new products to get to get those out into the market and almost get the business to a point where it could could decouple its growth from headcount requirements and so a lot of that initial focus was really you know all those areas that were identified pre-deal really how do we make sure that they are focused on post-deal and they're they're the right ones and there's nothing else that, that um that we've identified but then also putting the right governance structures around it so the, the business recruited somebody to to really drive that uh, you know the value enhancement uh, project through through the business all, all through our, our investment period so it was also you know making sure that we have regular catch-ups on it what you know what's the progress of these various different initiatives so there was, there was a lot of that that was that, that was the immediate focus so you almost installed installed is probably not the right word, but but put someone into the company who was in charge of the value creation, the value creation plan, and had oversight of it. Yeah, oversight. I mean, it's 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 always one of those funny ones. You need you need lots of people in the business doing these various different initiatives, but it does help having somebody at the centre to kind of pull it all together to do to do the various different reporting requirements on it. So yeah, there was there was somebody that was brought in um, in house to to drive that. And I'm interested in, you know, you spoke a lot about human capital there as well. I think a lot of our listeners and, and people working in private equity will be all too familiar with how difficult it is to recruit and retain staff at the moment. Is there anything particular there that you did, which which might be some good advice? Um, what, what did we really do? I mean, uh, we brought in somebody who is so... Uh, when when we invested, uh, it, it was clear that we needed somebody who was you know, very senior to be to be driving that strategy through through the business. So so we did that early on in in the investment period. And then a lot of it was around how how do we go about setting up the kind of you know all all the way through the business. So you know from the graduate recruitment, how do we get that right? How do we make sure that we're we're doing all of the career journeys that we're giving people the right training and you know all the way through so that they could develop as they as they progress their their career through through the business so there was a lot of focus on on that learning development side you know obviously then we had to look at you know pay structures and, and everything else to make sure that they were they were appropriate um but they they were probably the the key things that that we focused the business on as well as well as making sure that they were you know talking to the right recruitment consultants and all all that kind of stuff but yeah it was it was very much around that you know how do we you know anthesis before before we invested anthesis had a very very strong culture within there so it's for us it was how how do we make sure that we retain that culture because it's you know it's it's quite you know there was a lot of people that joined the business because of because of that that culture 
we wanted to make sure that a lot of the things that, that we were doing and that we were, you know, we were talking to the management team about kept that culture in place because um, that, that was one of the key key things that enabled the business to, to recruit strongly, um, but also at the same time enable it to have the right systems and processes to be able to, to grow because obviously the business is you know, different from the scale that it now is compared to when, when we invested. Um, but without losing that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. So it was really trying to make sure that we we kept that that balance right all the way through what we were trying to achieve on the, the human capital side. Because I guess as well, you know, if you're an employee at a company and then you get a, a kind of a private equity investor coming into the business, yeah. it, it scares you. So I think, like you said, retaining that culture is important and showing employees that they're on a growth journey with you and, and you're not there to kind of strip out the business. Absolutely. What I'm interested in as well is um, does Palatine have a value creation book that it applies or, and you know, what does that look like? How does it change across the portfolio? Yeah. Um, how does it change across the portfolio? So, I mean, yes, we do have you know value creation playbook and I suppose it's kind of, you know, we start from, you know, say from, before we do the deal, identify what we think the, the main areas to, to focus on are. And then, then post post deal, we, we then start looking at, right, what what are the, the value drivers? You know, then, then we go through each value driver and say, right, what what do we need to be able to do to achieve this? And come up with a, a list of initiatives. Then, it, then it's always, you know, go down to, right, who's going to be responsible for it, get your project charters, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you so you put in a you know you're identifying them, but then you put in the governance structures around them to say right who, who's driving this, when's it going to be done by, you know, and, and all of that is you know lots of stuff that sits with the the company then that they're they're responsible for for driving, and then we have a you know a tool that then brings all of that up to right high level board reporting, you know, kind of rag status. How how are we getting on against these these various different initiatives? So. How does it vary across the portfolio? I mean, the, the structure is largely the same, but obviously the value drivers for each individual business are are different, and therefore the initiatives tend to be tend to be different as well. And so, you know, we, you know our, our value enhancement team sit sit alongside the investment team to to really drive and support the execution of that that value enhancement plan all, all the way through the investment, and be that you know they get involved in some projects themselves, or they or they know. In various different consultants, individuals that can, can help the management team to really execute some of some of those initiatives. And so they might be. I mean, we've already mentioned M and A, data, yeah. human capital. Any more yeah. examples that you? Yeah, so comm- commercial optimizations a good one that we obviously or, or, you know, normally focus on with uh, a number of the portfolios around houses, business price. So they, you know, they doing the right commercial negotiations. That was something that we that we did with Anthesis. We put some. You know, brought some people in to um, improve the, the negotiation skills of a lot of the, the people out there that were doing a lot of the, the work winning. Um, IT is a is a big one in terms of rolling out new new systems. And again, we did you know, Anthesis. But we're already on that journey. We need we needed to refine that process and make sure that that was that was rolled out across the you know, across all of the various different regions. They'd started in the, the two largest regions, and we're, and we're rolling it out thereafter. And that that's that was a big one, but you know, it's increasingly data as well is is very very important as we as we know that in most businesses that that we invest in, you know, they're they're uh, the, the smaller end of the the scale is that you know they need to go on that journey from a, from a data perspective, and we know that most of you know certainly when we get into an exit process that we're going to have very data hungry 
um, buyers that that want to cut the data in numerous different ways. So that therefore that that's that is a key focus for us. You know, it was an anthesis and it is elsewhere in the portfolio to make sure that we've got the the businesses which are you know not not only ready for an exit process, but how are we using that data you know, to to inform what's going on in a business and what decisions we should be making? Because you know, there's nothing nothing like a you know prove, proving a point with with data. It really, I think it you know, massively helps. And you mentioned there about kind of companies sitting on the smaller end of the spectrum. I think value creation is particularly interesting in the smaller mid-cap space because it's probably the first round of um, international of external financing. Yeah. Are there more levers to kind of pull in this environment, do you think, as opposed uh, to the large cap funds? Yeah, probably. Probably, I would say. Because, you know, businesses do tend to be, you know, they have typically a very strong USP there, you know, as you say, it'll be the first time around with an institution. They'll typically be, you know, entrepreneurial owner managed businesses previously that that know how to 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 execute on on certain things but need to go on a on a journey through through the rest. So there there is a lot of professionalizing that that needs to be done to take the business to to the next level. So in many ways, yes. But you know, I'd say that, you know, there's still there's still the challenges. I, I think the real challenge is, is what I was talking about earlier. Is that on, on a lot of the businesses, there's there's almost too much to go at. And if you if and we we've been guilty of that in the past. That you know we we tried to do too much and we spread the management teams too thin. So that so the real skill, I suppose, is identifying. Look, these are all the various different opportunities that we could do, but these are the ones that we're really really going to focus on because these are going to drive the most amount of value. So I think that's probably the slight difference between the two but yeah yeah yes probably i would say but you do have to be re- really careful that you're not trying to do too much because you want to keep management on side as well and if you're pushing them to do too much then that's not good yeah, yeah and, and i think that, and that, that's the other thing as well that, that we've learned so you, you set your you know, your value enhancement plan very, very early on in, in your investment but you, you need to be continually looking at it and you know refining the plan as you, as you go along because Circumstances change, you know. Market conditions can can change, and you, you've got to be able to adapt to it. So, so you know, you have to be reviewing that plan and making sure that it's it's appropriate you know, throughout the the investment period. And we spoke a little bit earlier about M and A is obviously central to to a lot of value creation plans at the moment. I believe there were six bolt ons. Talk to me a little bit about the integration and you know how they weren't just orphaned acquisitions and but. Truly became part of the Anthesis business. Yeah, so so Anthesis had a very strong track record of doing acquisitions before we invested. I think it had done thirteen up until um, the point when when we invested. And as you say, there's there were six that were done uh, during our initial investment period. Um, most of, to be fair, three of those were done very late on. They they were done kind of within the last you know three six months of, of, of the investment. So. The the integration for those acquisitions is ongoing. You know, it's kind of there's a there's a plan in place. We you know we have a you, know, you asked about playbooks earlier. We we have an integration toolkit playbook that we that we give out to you know a lot of our businesses do do buy and build. It's you know say it's one one of the key areas that we 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 look for in a in an opportunity. And um, so we we gave that to the Anthesis guys and and you know made sure that they they followed it. We we also put made sure they had people. Running those those integration um, the integration activities, you know, coordinating with the various different functions to make sure that things like you know the finance systems were were aligned, etc. So, and I think 
to be fair to the Anthesis guys, you know, they, they were, they've always been very strong at culturally in, and commercially integrating the businesses that, that they've acquired. So, you know, it's, it, there's very few I think, vendors that have ended up leaving post an acquisition by, by Anthesis. So, you know, they, they were very, very strong at doing that and driving the various different, you know, cross-selling opportunities that, that they, that they could get. It, it was more a case of, you know, so, so that side of things, they, they didn't really need too much help on because they were very good. It, it was probably more again on the, the kind of, back office side that we, we, we had to make sure that, that those were those were done. And I want to look a little bit forward at the, the future of buy and build as a strategy. Obviously, the debt markets were very different back when you first invested. I think acquisitions largely have become more expensive from the financing side. Obviously, valuations are down a little bit across the yeah. board as well. So it's a little bit of to and fro. But what's your take on all of this? And how much is that still going to be an important part of, of value creation? For us in, in the, the lower mid market, and um, part time in particular, I, I think it's going to be absolutely a you know key part of our. our I mean, it has been a key part of our you know, our successes in in the past, and it and it will be going going forwards. I think that you know, typically that where we look for is you know businesses that are in you know, pretty fragmented markets. Um, so I think that that naturally gives you a, an opportunity to be doing you know, smaller, smaller bolt-on acquisitions. I think that that will still be the be the case. I think you know you mentioned debt markets. Obviously, you know it's, it's pretty challenging macro conditions out there at the moment. That that in itself provides some opportunities for for, for bolt-ons. You've also got you know management teams that are looking for for exit options, succession routes, etc. That provides the opportunity for for M and A um, and to do some bolt ons. So I do I do think it's going to continue. Yes, you're, you're right. You know the debt markets have have moved substantially in the, over the last couple of years. So I just think you know, some ways we've got to be a little bit more creative in terms of the the deal structures that that we that we look for. But again, I kind of think that you know. We don't over over leverage the businesses on on day one, and we we often when we're you know negotiating the debt facilities right at the outset, we're we're putting an acquisition facility in place um, that that will enable us to to go on and buy and build. So I, mean, I look at you know one of our recent investments, BK Plus. You know since we've done the deal, you know it's, it's already got three businesses in acquisition and um, exclusivity, which is which is looking to acquire. So you know I think the opportunities are are still there. Um, particularly in the in the lower mid market for us. Okay, let's let's skip forward a little bit. Although quite a short amount of time, just two years before you kind of looked to exit the investment. I I've got two kind of questions here. How did you get the company to a position where it was ready for an M and A process, and why did you decide to launch? An, an exit in the middle of what is possibly one of the worst M and A markets we've seen recently yeah um look there, there was there was very strong interest um in anthesis and that was that was very you know getting to a getting to a point at the back end of um 2022 where it, it could have become a real real distraction for the for the management team um so obviously the, the business had grown very strongly through through our investment period and you know, I don't think there's that many businesses in this space of the the scale of Anthesis. They tend to either be kind of, you know, the, at the lower end, kind of, you know, sub couple of million EBITDA, you know, and then you've probably got some of the bigger guys at north of, you know, 20, 30. Um, but Anthesis kind of sat between the two. So there, there was a lot of interest in it because of its, you know, it, its size, its, you know, the scale that it got to, the growth opportunities. 
you know, the fact that it, you know, it had done various different, you know, M&A activities as we've been talking about you know, with, with, with further potential. So there, there was very, very strong interest in the asset. So, you know, but again, it's kind of, we, we, we did have a good you know, conviction in this that said, look, you know, whilst we expected the market to, to slow down a bit from a, from a volume perspective, you know, we did still think that good assets would still trade hands. You know, I think we have seen that, and I think we, you know, we, we called that one right in this. So you know, we knew that, given the strength of the interest in the business, and you know, and, and that point that you know, there will be a, a flight to quality, effectively. And I thought, you know, that's a, still a good opportunity to to be able to, um, you know, partially exit on on Anthesis. So I think, it, what what did we do to get it ready? Now, this is where we did put a lot of a lot of effort into it because what what we didn't want to do was launch too early. So we we had that kind of conundrum of look, we've got hot you know hot market for sustainability businesses at, at that point in time. How do we make sure that we go before the market cools down? So we, we we put a lot of time and effort into making sure that we got the data right and that we you know we we got the the business and management to a position where they could withstand the rigors and the the distraction that you know and you know an exit process inevitably and a due diligence process inevitably puts on the business. So you know we worked worked hard with the management team. We brought in you know advisors to help us to you know cut the data in in, in various different ways and almost. You know, challenge the data ourselves and and foresee what what the challenges coming out of a DD process would be, so that you know we we could prepare the kind of the follow up analysis, the follow you know prepare you know the answers to the questions before they came in effectively to to really keep the keep the momentum in that exit process. So you know, we did we did a lot of a lot of time and effort to make sure that we we only actually pushed the button and launched and um, launched that exit when when the business was was ready. I think that's that's quite a common theme across exits, both those that that have traded and those haven't. But a lot more time going into that due diligence process and really making sure that the numbers are good, that they make sense. You got the question, so that all aligns. And it was a competitive auction process, was it, or was it a bit more off market? Yeah, it, it was competitive process. So we 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 were very keen to keep that competitive tension through through the process and not not go exclusive with any any one party um, too soon. Give, given the strength of the interest in in the business, so yeah, that that was one of the key things that we wanted to to do and, and maintain throughout. And then the ultimate winner was Carlisle in the end. Pretty decent return for Palatine six times. I believe. Yeah, very strong, yeah. Let's talk about, you decided to, to reinvest for a minority position. What was the impetus behind that? Is it more about easier terms to get the deal done, continuing some exposure to the business? Talk to me about it. Yeah, that definitely the latter. Uh, I think you know, we, we've got strong belief in the business and the, and the market that it's in. Um, you know, we think it's got an absolutely you know, fantastic position in in that market. I think it's very well placed to to grow significantly um, going forward. So, you know, for for us, it was it was more the you know to benefit from the future growth potential of the of the business. And uh, we also you know there was lots of discussion with the management team about who who the right investment partner would be. And we we do think that that in Carlisle that you know management team have got a very strong investment partner and for, for us it's great to be partnering with them we, we think they're going to really take the business on to, to the next level and so for us it was really to you know to keep a, a seat at the table really and see you know see the business continue on the journey that you know to be fair 
it was on before we we got there. We probably you know we, we helped it along along the way, um, you know. And it, I think it will. You know, there's still great success for that business. So we you know we absolutely wanted to still be be party to it. So it was it was more that that drove the you know, the desire to to roll over and into the new into the new deal than, than anything else. And just in terms of kind of going back to to governance and being an active investor. How much control do you still have, or, or how much say? Is it a bit more passive now, or are you still? It, it, yeah, obviously it's it's different um, to, to to what it was. You know, obviously, Carlisle now being a um, you know, the, the largest shareholder there. Obviously, they 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 take most of the you know, the, the driving seat on it. But at the same time, we still attend board meetings. Will be you know previously it would have been everyone. We don't don't go to everyone now, but still still going to board meetings. Still in close contact with the management team. You know, we've got the same protections as with Carlisle and you know a lot of the legal docs. So yeah, it's it's obviously different, but there is there is protections in there. And I think, you know, we we you know, still help the business on its on its journey. I think we've still got uh, stuff to offer, but we do need to be careful that there's not, you know, too many cooks now in there that are you know trying to, to drive the strategy in in the business. So we've got to be got to be pragmatic with it, but at the same time, you know, I think we you know still got a role to play to help the business grow. Well, thanks, Tom. That was a really great overview of the Anthesis journey. And hopefully we can catch up in another, you know, four, five, two years when when Carlisle decides to exit the business and talk about the value creation there. But it's been great to talk to you today. 